Welcome to The Real Estate Shop, where we bring in top industry experts with their current projects that are making an impact. This podcast is brought to you by myself, Steve Lawrence, and my partner, Kervin Latham. This episode of The Developers, we had the privilege to interview Eddie Benoit, President and CEO of the Atlanta-based Benoit Group. Let's join in and hear how they developed a vertically integrated company. My, actually, my first job out of college, I was recruited um, out of college by a large construction company uh, by the name of Beers Construction to move here to Atlanta. And um, they were soon acquired by Skanska, um, which uh, took over about a year or so after I joined that company. I worked for them for about three and a half years in actually building projects. It was office buildings, hotels, and uh, working on some hospital projects. And uh, at the end of the three and a half year period, my goal was to always join a commercial real estate development company, but I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity to learn how to build projects first. Um, you know, my undergraduate and graduate degrees were in construction and also in real estate science. So that's why I chose that first route to learn about the bricks and mortars first before I started venturing into the development industry. I actually worked for a development company for about eight years after leaving the construction company. And uh, during the eight year period of time, it was just really baptism by fire. Learned a lot, uh, developed office buildings, uh, retail developments, hotels, uh, multifamily developments, pretty much, you know, throughout the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic um, areas. And um, at the end of the eight year period of time, I decided that it was really time for me to get, become a little bit more entrepreneurial. And the company was going through certain changes where they wanted to focus more on office. And I thought at that time, I wanted to focus more on multifamily. So, um, it was really an amicable, you know, separation, and I decided to go a different route and joined my ex-partners of now um, that uh, were my Amblin partners, and uh, opened the Atlanta office here and started focusing on multifamily development really throughout the country. So we grew that company for about nine years um, to almost 1,200 employees with five different offices. Uh, doing all types of development from affordable mixed income housing to lot developments to condominium developments uh, to student housing uh, luxury um, uh, apartment housing just throughout the country when you uh when you first uh, started how did you um <clears throat> overcome some of the obstacles that a lot of developers face like personal guarantees and such uh, how did you overcome that and you know, as you went on, how do you get a lot of your deals financed now? I tell you, you never overcome those personal guarantees, those obstacles. As long as you're in the game, you are going to have guarantees somehow, some way. Whether you're guaranteeing them personally or, you know, you have some type of a guarantee fund that's set aside that is at risk that you already work for. That's just the nature of the business. There's always going to be some type of financial guarantee. But um, when we started... It was in 2010, and we were right in the middle of the recession. It couldn't have been a worse time um, to split up, you know, our companies and um, just kind of go on our own because it didn't matter how long we've been in the business. And once you have a new company, you are a newbie. Lenders look at you as a newbie. And so you couldn't get any lines of credit at that time, operating lines of credit. 
because we were a newbie and plus we were in the recession and everybody was pulling back on operating lines of credit. Underwriting was very, very difficult at that time. Tax credit um, investment pricing was very low. Uh, the uh, capital markets were sidelined, so they weren't putting equity in deals for at least a good two plus years. Pension funds, REITs, everybody was just sidelined to see what would happen. Um, so for us, we really had to focus on building our pipeline. We changed our business platform and went to a very low to moderate risk business platform. And we figured, well, the federal government is the only lender <laughs> right at that time. Um, so therefore, it made sense for us to focus on the affordable mixed income housing and also um, focus on, uh, you know, the services side of our business where we could actually um, you know, uh, grow a property management company and um, keep some vertical integration. So we created Dorchester Management, which was a, actually a small acquisition of a um, an acquisition of a small management company um, that we uh, we took over. Then we created a construction management arm, and um, that actually oversees over all of our design and construction and also does some third-party work. Similarly, um, Dorchester Management does some third-party work too. And then we uh, focused on our advisory business where we would perform development advisory services, uh, program management services for companies throughout the U.S. that needed development expertise, uh, working with municipalities on a lot of program you know, management, and also working with governments abroad that needed program management and master planning and financial you know, assistance on some of their large projects that they were looking to undertake. So we diversified our business during that period of time to make sure that we had not only the at-risk side of our business from a development standpoint that was pretty limited and focused primarily in affordable, low-income housing, mixed-income housing, independent senior living, but then we had the services side of our business that really that we could really count on as far as the monthly cash inflows in order to keep you know sustain our business operations throughout that time. Wow, that's a resiliency, man. That's how you have to do it. Fast forward, I see you guys are in multiple states now, so you're, you're doing business, you know, throughout the country. What's your investment thesis now, and is there um, any go-to financing that you do, or is it? you know, project specific. I know you guys do some student housing, some low income housing. How how's that priority work for you all these days? Well, first of all, we try to keep a good balance. Um, up until last year, our portfolio was primarily affordable mixed income housing with public private partnerships and um, with different public housing authorities, municipalities, development authorities, and or faith based organizations whereby there was another um, quasi-governmental agency that was involved. So that gave us, you know, the leverage that we needed in order to get the different, you know, subsidies that allowed our, you know, deals, you know, to be financially feasible in the markets that we focus on, which are primarily urban and suburban markets. We're actively in seven states right now, and more recently just was awarded a deal um, in uh, St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. So that will be, you know, our, eight, our eighth state. And so most of our deals, we, uh, we look at certain types of financing that pretty much is in line with 
deals that are um, focused on delivering affordably priced housing, you know, to that community. Okay, so we're not necessarily doing every deal now as affordable housing um, with tax credits because there are deals that we're doing that are workforce housing that have no tax credits. And there are deals that we're doing that are student oriented and workforce oriented um, because of its location that have no tax credit investments. However, they're getting different types of um, governmental incentives that allow the affordability from a price standpoint as it as it competes with um, other you know properties in the surrounding area so and sometimes there's just not enough housing you know to to meet the demand needs there so ultimately we finance most of our projects with taxes and bonds we use a lot of um, tax abatements whether we're in urban enterprise zones or whether we're in difficult to develop areas or we're in um, housing opportunity, you know, zones, um, or we're in corridor TADs or just regular TADs or TIF districts where we can actually get these tax benefits that enabled us, you know, to provide a more affordable, you know, price point to the end user, which are our residents. We also look at some of our financing with HUD insured financing that gives us the 40 year amortization and the lower interest rate benefit in order to, you know, get a higher leverage on the debt that we can actually place on these types of projects, therefore reducing the amount of equity that we put in. Uh, we actually put in equity, you know, ourselves, but we also participate some of that equity with just some outside, you know, investors. And whether it's on a short-term horizon, three to five years, or long-term, depending on what the holding strategy is uh, for that project. And um, every once in a while, if we have tax credit deals, whether it's 9% or 4% tax credits, we may have the deals that are 9% tax credits that have conventional debt. And then the 4% tax credits, we're dealing with taxes and bonds. Your office is based in Atlanta. You've got projects you just said in St. Thomas and in other parts of the country, eight, eight states total. Can you walk us through like how you built your team and how you how, how were you able to expand from a personnel perspective to take on those projects? Well, from a team standpoint, we use, we've had some people that have worked with us for since my Ambling days, they've transitioned over and still working with us. And we've had people who've been working with us since we started, um, you know, shortly after we started TBG. Uh, typically we, we hire people, especially on the development side of the business, where you have less attrition that are focused, um, you know, primarily on wanting to, you know, pursue you know, development and that, that falls within, you know, our vision and our mission statement, you know, for the company. And if they're really not in tune to that, then it makes no sense to really join our organization because we're not necessarily trying to just offer a job or place somebody in a position and pigeonhole them. We're really looking to provide them a career to really become a real estate developer. It doesn't matter what you focus on initially. It's a matter of what your opportunities are within the organization as far as your upward you know, trajectory in our organization. And the other thing is, is that you have to be multidimensional. It doesn't matter if you're a development analyst you know, today Tomorrow, you could be in front of 
you know, in Bermuda and dealing with the uh, government there as a consultant in a consultant role. That gives us the ability to deal with the real estate cycles. And when you're going through a down cycle and you got to focus more on your services side, then we don't have to lose some of our, you know, these key, you know, associates that have been working with us, who's investing time with us and who we've invested a lot of time in as far as training them. So they could easily transition over and work on the other sides of our business or focus on the asset management of our portfolio, making sure that we're yielding, you know, the optimal results on, you know, our properties, cash flows, um, looking at a lot of our capital, you know, expenditures, you know, on, on our, on our assets. Those are the things that are very critical to us as far as each associate having the ability to wear multiple hats. We've seen how that worked for us during the past recession. We've also seen how it worked for us this past, you know, 16, 17 months with, um, with just uh, COVID. I mean, a lot of things pretty much stalled, but when our team realized that there's only so many new deals we could do because equity was somewhat sidelined too, because of the uncertainty of the market and people are not, tenants not paying rent, we decided that, guess what? We're going to focus all of our efforts now on building pipeline. So we put our hats on and started rolling on up our sleeves and and responding to RFPs and expanding our, 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 our geographic, you know, footprint. That's how we expanded into Virginia and also expanded into the Virgin Islands just by virtue of doing that, as opposed to really trying to push deals that really, you know, sh shouldn't be worked on at that time. You know, lumber prices were through the roof, you know, debt was pretty decent because of the low interest rates, but you know, just the equity market, you know, they were very, you know, very uncertain as to how to underwrite a deal because of the vacancy issues. Um, or if you didn't have physical vacancy, the economic vacancies were just so high. So we chose, you know, you know, to take that route. So from a team standpoint, uh, it's important for us again, to, to hire or bring on, um, associates who are multidimensional and that can, you know, carry over their talents on some of the different parts of our business as we move along. We have uh, about 120 or so employees collectively amongst all four companies that we have uh, right now. And we think that for us, the optimal side will be somewhere around 200 employees as we continue to grow. And most of it will be in our property management company because we self-manage. Wow, that's, that's incredible. How, how many units do you, you uh, would you say you have under management currently? Um, we have under 4,000 units um under management you know currently most of which you know belongs to us about easily 3500 or so are our units and we have about another i think 1100 or so units planned to develop over the next 24 months nice nice that's that's awesome just a follow-up question to the um to the previous questions about team about building your team you know relation uh real estate's a real relationship driven industry, right? Uh, you mentioned in 2010, you know, banks are looking at, at you as being a green company. You're, you're out on your own, essentially. How, how did you kind of foster those relationships to get you to where you are today? Was it, you know, can you talk to some of the strategies that you employed in the beginning? Well, one of the first things that we had to 
contend with is the fact that, you know, we had, nobody had a clean balance sheet. <laughs> Everybody had some, some issue going on. It didn't matter the size of the company. You know, you had some workout you had, that, that was going on. It didn't look pretty. It was bad. <laughs> you had to explain the issues, projects that were failed or for failing. And it was across the board. The, so it was really important to get ahead of those questions and, and bring it to the table up front with lenders and equity partners and tell them exactly what's going on and what you plan on doing you know, to address it. Um, from a financial standpoint and from really a, a strategic standpoint. And I found that to be very beneficial when you uh, apprise them of the issues without them asking about them, you know, as they discover the issues during their due diligence, you know, process. Like that's, that's a bad situation, you know, typically when you're having to answer something when they've already gone down the road with you and you never brought it up. The other thing is, is that, you know, most of the lenders and equity, you know, partners were underwriting people, they were underwriting the person, not the project to a certain extent. Because of the uncertainties at that time and, you know, projects were speculative. Yeah, they may like the deal, but at the end of the day, they're like, you know what? I believe Eddie Benoit is going to do the best he can to make sure that this deal is done. He does not sacrifice quality. He's not going to um, sacrifice the quality in order just to preserve developer fee, even if he has to defer all his fee to make sure that we have a quality project, he will do so. And if he has to put in more money and above and beyond the developer fee, he will still do so then those conversations um, were pretty much what we had um, with the uh, with these investors uh, during that period of time of the recession. You know, they, you know, the, the deals kind of just, you know, especially when you're doing an affordable deal, it either works or it doesn't. Either you like the location or you don't. Either the market study supports it or it doesn't. You know, once you get beyond some of those, you know, the, the main underwriting thresholds, then it's a matter of, okay, is this client here the client that we want to do business with? It was the same thing with some of the state agencies. You know, which clients did they look at as tier one clients? Same thing with the lenders. Same thing with HUD as far as, you know, having HUD sponsorship experience. So the because we had all of that experience, it really helped us. It gave us a competitive edge, even though we were, you know, a new company and we were still able to compete with some of the larger companies, even though we had a significantly smaller balance sheet than some of the larger companies. But when we competed um, on RFPs, you know, we we're able to win, um, even though we were the smaller, you know, company because of our experience and our track record. We, um, in addition to that, so you look at some of the equity partners and lenders that we did business with back in 2010 and 11, we're still doing business with them today. And they're doing the lion's share of our business. Some of the companies have changed, but the uh, relationship person is the same. We just ended up following that same relationship person. 
So we're big on relationships, whether it's with our equity partners, our lenders, you know, consultants, designers, you know, you'll see based on our um, track record, how much repeat business that we have with some of the same groups. That's excellent. Looking at our emerging developers who might be looking at this uh, or listening to this podcast, what's your number one piece of advice uh, that you would give them as they look to kind of break into the game? Capital. Making sure that they have capital. Uh, capital is key. You know, this business is all about, you know, learning every day. That's what really gets me going. That's what gets me out of my bed is that I get to learn something every day. I'm nearing 30 years here in this business and um, it's been fun. It's been a roller coaster ride. Some days you ask yourself, why am I in this business? But then you wake up another day, you have an opportunity to go at it again. And um, so I guess, you know, this for those of us who are thrill seekers and deal junkies, it just works very well for us. But if one major thing that I would do, if I had to do it over again, just as I recommended, you know, early on with the question, you know, about the young entrepreneurs, is that I would have aligned myself with a strong capital partner on the front end. I had, you know, my own capital after I um, split up with my partners at Amblin and thought it'd be enough, okay, based on my business plan, just to find out that it definitely wasn't enough because I didn't know how long this recession would last. Uh, most of us thought when it hit and we recognized we're in a recession, for those of us who were in active development around late 2007, some others, it took them until mid-2008 to realize that we were in a recession or accept it. And we thought it'd probably be a 24-month, you know, situation, 30 months. But it went well into, start, we started the recovery around 2013. So I needed a lot more capital, not only to continue to grow our business, and because we were getting larger deals. And these larger deals, as we were expanding, required more money. Okay, so which is a great, it's a great problem to have, but it is really a problem because you still have to operate your company from an overhead standpoint. Um, and then we had workouts, you know, from my previous partnership, deals that we were working out with the lenders that had failed. And so that required another level of capital that really had nothing to do with our day-to-day -day business that I needed to resolve. And these were not, you know, small checks. And so I, it, it definitely put a strain on us, um, you know, for a few years. And so had I had a strong capital partner, you know, um, in the company, I would have, um, I wouldn't have had to, you know, deal with some of the financial hurdles I had to, um, you know, face in the early years of the company and growing the company. I guess to, to close out, one of the questions we ask all the developers, knowing just how hard this journey has been, it seems like everybody kind of fell into that 2007, 2010. It's, it's amazing how many of the developers we talked to came in came into business around that time. And the first thing they said, yeah, it was a recession. But as you got over those hurdles, as you progressed and, how, and as you grew, how did you balance you know, the personal side of your life with the business side? Because that certainly is a challenge as, as well. 
it was it was very difficult, you know, because on the personal side, you know, suffered because of the fact that, you know, we were focusing all of our, you know, just uh, finances in rebuilding this company, um, rebuilding and building, I guess, at the same time, because um, as we worked out some of the issues from the previous partnership, so you know, it took nine years to close out the last workout. Okay, so it's kind of like we always had an albatross around our neck and had to explain these issues to lenders on every deal as to what's going on with this project. You know, is it a threat? Is it a financial threat? Things of that sort. Um, but on the personal side, you know, we just really had to dig deep and um, made, you know, certain decisions that, hey, we're going to be in a rebuilding stage and um, we're, um, we're going to be very judicious as to, you know, how we spend and um, we're going to leverage, you know, everything that we have in order to you know, put into this company to grow it. So, um, you know, my spouse and I, we were definitely, you know, on the same page relative to that. So we, we didn't have any issues as to when it came up to guarantees and just putting more money into the company in order for it to grow. Um, but the other thing that, you know, I, you know, I made a decision, um, about was to make sure I had a good time. I'm like, I can't have a, a difficult time at work and I also have a difficult time at home on my personal side. That's very important. You have to have fun. You have to enjoy it. And, you know, then what's the purpose, you know? So I, um, I get to enjoy this business in so many different ways. Um, it's not really about the financial side. I get to enjoy just to see, you know, just our associates, how they grow, their wins, their successes within the organization. You know, the uh, get to see, you know, my residents when I go on site to see how happy they are uh, with the uh, property, you know, that they're living in and what we're doing, how we're engaging, you know, with them from a resident activity standpoint. Um, I also get, you know, have fun just doing things like this as far as, um, you know, talking, you know, to you guys or mentoring a lot of young, um, you know, uh, professionals or even those who are still in college or those who are entering, you know, college for a real estate, you know, uh, degree. Um, just also engaging in all these other professional organizations that I'm part of or different boards. You know, I find a lot of, you know, fun, you know, there. I'm just that kind of guy. I'm very I'm more of an optimistic type of person from a personality standpoint. And this business is very stressful. And it's all about how you approach it and how you let it affect you. You know, I'm even kill a guy. And, and as I said before, I've never seen a similar day over the past 29 years. So there's usually always light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't matter how bad the deal is or the news is today. There's always some kind of silver lining down the road. And the more you can stay calm and focused, the quicker you're going to, you know, recognize what the solution, you know, is. And um, so from a personal standpoint, make sure you balance it as much as you can have fun. You know, if your deal is, is cycling, running, playing golf, swimming, whatever it is, do it. Don't let the job create an excuse for you not to have fun. 
And, you know, this uh, one developer told me one time, a little bit, you know, older than me, he said, you know what, in 40 years of development, he can't even remember some of the deals he did, um, what year he did them and whatnot. I mean, he pretty much remembered 90 some percent. But he said he remembered every vacation he took with his family and sometimes remembered what kind of clothes they had. And that right, right there really changed my approach. He remembered That's every vacation. Yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so that makes you think. <laughs> yeah, it does. It changes the perspective. That's <laughs> right. You know? Yes. So. Uh, we uh we certainly appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the time. I know Cal, Curve and I can both relate. Just the the stress and the balancing act, and and you know certainly the entrepreneurs we talk to. That's uh, a lot of the things that we let them know that you know this this is a this is a this is a profession that can consume you a hundred percent if you're not willing to dial it back to you know sixty or fifty to balance it out. Well, people contact us you know every day. I mean either via email or they just call the main office. I think what's um, the most important part is the fact that it needs to be a deal that fits within our vision and mission statement. Okay. If it's not, it has to be in, you know, um, areas that we're interested in developing in. Um, so if it's not in an urban or suburban location, and if it's, you know, if it's rural, it needs to be pretty much close to a university. That's, um, you know, that's where any rural deal, we have a couple of rural deals, but they're right adjacent to a tier one university because it gives us um, just multiple options from an exit strategy. Um, but otherwise, you know, we get these calls every day. <laughs> we get the emails every day or they reach us through social media. I have land, you know, I want to figure out how to develop it. And they're like, you know, I want to do senior housing, what I want to do a mixed use development. We get those, you know, a dime a dozen, but um, every once in a while, um, you'll find one that makes sense, and um, we and it falls pretty much within what we would call our sweet spot, and we're able to, you know, uh, you know, bring a deal like that to fruition. The deals have to make, have to have a purpose. We don't just chase deals just to do deals. I have every deal that we've done, you know under the Benoit group um, has had a story behind it, a story as to why it was important enough for us to pursue that deal and the story of how that deal not only changed the residents that lived there, but also how it impacted the surrounding neighborhood. And so that's what's more. So we get, we have an opportunity to cherry pick what we pursue. We don't just do deals just to do them, which is the reason why we're not a big 9% tax credit developer because the 9% tax credit, you know, process is, you know, it's really more social engineering. It's a matter of where can you find the site that's going to meet, you know, as many of the requirements of the QAP and where you can score the most. Well, sometimes I may not want to be in that market because I see some of the risks, some of the inherent risks that may be on the front end or the inherent risk that may be on the back end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no question. Yeah. So, um, so for us, you know, we, we partnered with at least, oh man, maybe at least half a dozen churches. We've got, we just finished 
two projects with two churches, and I think we have another two going on right now um, in the uh, pre-development stage. And uh, we'll continue to do business with, with the churches because they typically have some great land holdings and assets in these urban and suburban markets. The housing authority is the same thing. Um, they have um, properties that are in excellent locations because 40, 50 years ago when those that housing was developed, it was considered to be on the outskirts <laughs> of these urban and suburban markets. But now they're in very desirable locations. And so the ability to work with them and redevelop, tear down, deconcentrate, you know, the, uh, the low income and poverty um, uh, within, you know, their, their portfolio uh, makes a lot of sense for them to them. And so we get very creative as to how we're able to redevelop, you know, those properties and, you know, do a more of a mixed income approach and a mixed demographic um, where we're able to segregate the seniors, you know, from just a regular multifamily. I think uh, before, before Kerbin jumps into the last question, uh, since you guys are in, in, in multiple locations uh, from a strategy perspective, uh, what is your, I guess, your geographic strategy? Like, for instance, I'm in Philadelphia. Would you come far as far north as Philadelphia? Or are you guys just content with the southeast? Um, how do you approach those opportunities uh, that they as they come up? It's a great question. Great question. I would never say no that I wouldn't come to your great state of Pennsylvania. It would have to make sense for at least three of our four business verticals. We don't go into a state you know, uh, a new state or a new territory just for one deal. It has to make sense for development where we know we can do more than one deal. We know it is going to be a regional focus. We're going to learn that state. We're going to build relationships, you know, there. And we can, our management company can not only manage our assets, but also can have other management opportunities for third-party owners. Same thing with our construction management company. Um, and then last but not least, in that market, and when the real estate cycle, we're in a down cycle, we could always do some of our advisory services there. So that's how we pretty much um, cherry pick, you know, the different cities and states that we're actively, you know, um, developing and own, you know, assets in right now. I do a lot of things differently. But then if you ask me, after I did those things differently, would you do things differently again? I'd say, yeah, I do things differently again. So our vision plan for the next five years, um, hopefully by 2026, is to really, you know, do a 2x multiplier of our portfolio size. You know, currently we have about 22 or so properties that are under operations within these states. And we think that, um, we have, based on the pipeline that we have with deals, that we have a great opportunity to double that size over the next five years. Another day at the shop, content they can't get anywhere else.